0: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Here's everything you might have missed in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Folks, there are so many Easter eggs and hidden details in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. We're gonna break them all down for you in just a moment, but to talk about these things, we obviously need to spoil what happens in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, leave now before it's too late. Goodbye, Steven. Okay, spoilers ahead. Let's get into it, shall we? Immediately, we're introduced to one of our two major magical MacGuffins, the Book of Vishanti. First appearing in Strange Tales 116, this is a powerful book of white magic or order magic, and it's the cosmic counterpart to the Darkhold. Interestingly, there only seems to be one Book of Vishanti in the entire multiverse, but there are numerous copies of the Darkhold. The Book of Vishanti resides in what's referred to as the Gap Junction, what appears to be the MCU's version of the nexus of all realities. It looks like a combo of Rainbow Road from Mario Kart and a Vaporwave music video complete with a version of Bernini's Baldacchino from St. Peter's Cathedral in Vatican City. When Defender Strange gets ready to kill America Chavez, he says something similar to what he told Peter Parker in Spider-Man No Way Home. In the grand calculus of the multiverse, their sacrifice means infinitely more than their lives. America Chavez is being hunted because she has the power to travel the multiverse through portals. She's from a dimension called the Utopian Parallel, which we see briefly in her traumatic flashback to when her moms got sucked through one of her portals. This is slightly different from the comics where America's moms sacrificed themselves to save the multiverse. The Gap Junction also contained a giant ribbon-like creature being puppeteered by Wanda Maximoff using the Darkhold. It resembles Cobweb, a demon that battled the Sleepwalkers, Marvel's Dream Cops. And given the movie's focus on dreaming as a window to the multiverse, Cobweb makes a lot of sense here. While we're on the subject of colossal creatures, that tentacled kaiju that attacks New York is officially named Gargantos due to copyright issues. This is actually a version of Shumagoroth. In the comics, this massive monster is an Elder God, a Lord of Chaos, and a longtime foe of Doctor Strange. And he's one of the most powerful multiversal entities there is, but here, not so much. Strange uses the Eye of Agamotto to reveal the cloaked, rune-covered monster. In the comics, the Eye of Agamotto is used to reveal hidden truths to the user and often manifests itself as a magical third eye of sorts. This also lends credence to the idea that Strange's third eye he develops from using the Darkhold by the film's end is the result of him awakening to the darker truth of the multiverse now that he's dabbled in both order and chaos magic. The New York City battle sequence features some visual references as well to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films. At Christine Palmer's wedding, our heroes run out on the balcony at the beginning of the attack, which echoes Green Goblin's dramatic entrance in 2002's Spider-Man. Ha 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 ha! Now, quick side note, the man that steps out on the balcony drinking a martini is Loki creator and Multiverse of Madness writer Michael Waldron. As he told Slashfilm, the backstory I wrote for myself is that I was the best man at the wedding. The other Raimi reference is when we see this tentacled murder monster crawl up a building to fight our hero. And that calls to mind Doc Ock and Spider-Man's battle in Spider-Man 2. When we first see Wanda, we hear a version of her theme from WandaVision in the background. And her kids are also watching what appears to be Trolley Troubles, an early Walt Disney cartoon featuring Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Now, Oswald was the predecessor to Mickey Mouse. Disney lost the rights to Oswald in 1928, and then Mickey was born. Now, another fun multiversal difference here is when Billy and Tommy mentioned the 2003 Detroit Tigers as being one of the best baseball teams of all time. This is a fun nod to Sam Raimi's Michigan roots, but more importantly, the real-life 03 Tigers are regarded as one of the worst baseball teams of all time. They're terrible. At comertage, that large green minotaur is Rentra, a character who likely had a larger subplot at one point. Created by Peter Gillis and Chris Warner, Rentra is an extra-dimensional alien being who becomes Strange's apprentice and eventually one of his closest allies. We also meet Sarah, another sorcerer that sacrifices herself later to save Wong. And it's unclear, but she might actually be based on Sarah Wolf, Wong's longtime love interest from the comics. When Strange and America first travel through the multiverse, we see a number of blink-and-you'll-miss-it cameos and references. First, we see the Living Tribunal, a being whose purpose is to safeguard the multiverse and preserve the cosmic balance. First appearing in 1967's Strange Tales 157 and 158, Doctor Strange had to prove to this entity why Earth was worth saving. Huh, you know, it's odd how when it's someone else's multiversal calculus, it's a problem. But when Steven does it, you know what? Maybe Wanda was right. We get brief glimpses of other universes, including what appears to be Spider-Man Noir's universe, maybe Spider-Man 2099's universe, something that resembles the dinosaur-filled Savage Land, a paint universe where it's hard to eat, one that kinda looks like Muspelheim, the fire realm from Norse mythology, and a fish-filled universe of New York City where a taxi drives by with a sign for Grindhouse Releasing. That is a distribution company that specializes in cult movies, including a restoration of Sam Raimi's classic Evil Dead. Now, our heroes eventually land in Earth 838, a world where everyone dresses in shades of black and gray, but every building is covered in plant life. Strange in America encountered the Pizza Papa, a cartoonish cameo by Bruce Campbell, who's either starred in or appeared in basically every Sam Raimi project ever. Now, at Memory Lane, Strange has a flashback to when Christine Palmer first gave him his prized Jaeger-Lakutra watch with the inscription, Time Will Tell You How Much I Love You. The watch was damaged when Strange was beaten up while looking for Kamertage in the first film. He kept it as a memento because that's when his old life stopped and his new life began. And by the film's end, he's reconciled his past, his present, and hopefully his future. And that motivates him to move on by finally repairing the watch. The statue outside the Sanctum Sanctorum here calls Strange Earth's Mightiest Hero, the title usually given as a group to the Avengers. Across the street is a bookstore called McLeod's Books, a reference to longtime Marvel Comics artist Bob McLeod, Best known as the co-creator of the New Mutants, McLeod also inked the Doctor Strange starring comic Strange Tales number 15. Moving on, when Mordo drugs Strange in America to take them into custody, he spikes their tea and uses the Sands of Nisanti. First appearing in Doctor Strange The Oath Number 5, they prevent anyone from using magic for a period of three minutes. Likely, this was to prevent Strange from retaliating while the spiked tea took effect. In the Illuminati prison at the British Museum, the Christine Palmer variant says she works for the Baxter Foundation. This is likely a scientific organization founded by the Fantastic Four, who reside in the Baxter Building in the comics. Now, there was a Baxter Institute in 2015's Fantastic Four, but the less time I spent thinking about that movie, the better. It's fantastic. Christine explained they've assigned Strange's reality the designation of Earth-616, which traditionally referred to the main Marvel Comics reality. The term itself first appeared in the Captain Britain story The Daredevil's Number 7. The MCU has been referred to as Earth-199999 previously, but 616 has been hinted at multiple times. By Mysterio and Spider-Man Far From Home on Eric Selvig's chalkboard in Thor The Dark World, and on a film strip in Loki. So maybe it really is official official moving forward. Now, Strange is being held in cell D23, a reference to Disney's official fan club and the fact that Walt Disney founded the company in 1923. As for his handcuffs, they are also powered by the Sands of Nisanti, which prevent him from using magic. Strange is escorted by a phalanx of Ultron drones, which are voiced by Ross Marquand, who, between this and Red Skull, is the MVP of stepping in to replace high-profile Marvel villains. As for the Illuminati themselves, we have an in-depth history over on Nerdist.com. This shadowy supergroup was founded by Tony Stark in the comics to help influence events in the Marvel Universe and prevent disasters where they could. Spoiler alert, they usually did more harm than good. The MCU's Illuminati is comprised of Haley Atwell as Captain Carter, the super soldier variant of Peggy Carter, who we first met on What If. She says her version of Captain America's I Can Do This All Day during her ill-fated fight with Wanda. Lashana Lynch as Captain Marvel, a variant where Carol Danvers' best friend, Maria Rambo, became the cosmic hero instead. Baron Mordo, one of Strange's biggest villains in the comics, but not necessarily the movies, which makes Strange's comments to Mordo about how he tried to kill him back in his world even weirder. There's also Black Bolt, the king of the Inhumans, an OG Illuminati member. He's wearing a comics-accurate costume, and he's played once again by Anson Mount, who originated this character back on the ill-fated Inhumans TV show. And if you haven't seen it, don't. Next up, we have John Krasinski as Reed Richards, the smartest man alive and the leader of the Fantastic Four. And best of all, we have Sir Patrick Stewart returning as Professor X, but this time inspired by the version from X-Men the Animated Series, right down to the yellow floating wheelchair. When Xavier first arrives, we hear the theme from the upcoming X-Men 97 animated series as well. And if you want to know why, Google X-Men 92 Lawsuit. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. So the Illuminati is worried that Doctor Strange's multiversal meddling could create an incursion. It's a concept introduced in Jonathan Hickman's excellent New Avengers run. It's basically when two different universes are on a collision course. One universe must be sacrificed to save the other or else both will die. Now, these incursions ultimately lead to the destruction of the multiverse as we know it and the events of Secret Wars, a 2015 crossover that was basically multiversal Game of Thrones ruled over by a godlike Doctor Doom. Now, as we've mentioned before, this is almost definitely where the MCU is heading. Moving on, Strange makes fun of the Fantastic Four by saying, didn't you guys chart in the 60s? Now, this joke has a couple of layers to it. First, it's clowning on Marvel's often silly naming conventions. Second, it references the fact that the Fantastic Four debuted in 1961. Third, there was a real-life Motown group called the Fantastic Four who formed in 1965. And if you remember the first Doctor Strange film, Steven showed off an impressive mind for recalling exactly when songs were released and when they charted decades prior, all while performing surgery. During Strange's trial, Professor X says something familiar. Someone may stumble and lose their way, but it doesn't mean they're lost forever, and this is what he said to his younger self back in X-Men Days of Future Past. After that, in the brutal battle between Wanda and the Illuminati, Reed mentions that he has kids of his own. In the comics, Reed and Sue have two children, Franklin and Valeria, both incredibly powerful in their own right. Valeria possesses a genius-level intellect like her father, and Franklin can warp the— Damn fabric of reality itself. He is so powerful. Definitely not good enemies for Wanda to have. More importantly though, this also establishes a direct line of descendant that one day will bring us to Nathaniel Richards, the man who would become Kang the Conqueror. That's right folks, legally, that's a Kang watch. This is wild. Moving on, we see Professor X get murdered for the third time on camera and the second time by a powerful redhead. When Professor X probes Wanda's mind and relives her memories of being trapped in the rubble of her childhood home in Sokovia, Wanda ultimately kills him. This echoes how Jean Grey seemingly killed Professor X when she unleashed her Dark Phoenix powers at her childhood home in X-Men The Last Stand. And while this is all happening, there's also a creepy TV on the floor playing scenes from WandaVision. Hope Darcy's not watching this. Later, in that ruined world where Sinister Strange lives, we see Sam Raimi's 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88 fly by. This car that he got in high school has appeared in basically every film that he's ever made, from Evil Dead to Spider-Man and so many more. Also, in the background, we see Strange and Christine walk past the Spates Diner, a reference to Doctor Strange screenwriter John Spates. Now, to prove to Sinister Strange that he is who he says he is, he gives the darkest version of CAPTCHA ever, the memory of their dead sister Donna, who drowned after falling through the ice. This scene was actually filmed for the original Doctor Strange movie, but it didn't make the final cut. Now, after that, in order to defend Strange's body when he dreamwalks, Christine uses the brazier of Bomb Galiath, or Bomb Goliath, however you want to say it. This is the same relic that Strange yeeted at Kaecilius in the first movie, because he had no idea how it worked. You don't know how to use that, do you? Uh... The film's finale takes place at Mount Wondegore, which is a major part of Wanda's backstory in the comics. This mystical location was not only where Wanda and Pietro were born, but it was where the elder god K'thon wrote the Darkhold. K'thon has possessed Wanda numerous times in the comics and is the source of her powers in some tellings of her origin. Wong references K'thon by name as a demon, and that weird temple atop wondegore it seems to be part of the Scarlet Witch prophecy that Agatha Harkness mentioned back in WandaVision. Now, last but not least, let's briefly talk about that mystery woman played by Charlize Theron in the mid credit scene. This is Clea, a powerful sorceress and the eventual ruler of the Dark Dimension. She is, canonically speaking, Dormammu's niece and becomes Strange's most enduring love interest. More immediately, though, she needs Strange's help to stop an incursion into the Dark Dimension. What that means for the future, only time will tell, but it's definitely taking us one step closer to secret wars and even more multiversal mayhem. And there you have it, folks. That is everything we spotted in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We'll be going through this movie again repeatedly and with a fine-tooth comb when it comes out on digital and Blu-ray, but this is what we spotted for now. Tell us, though, what did you think of this movie? Did you spot anything that we missed? Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com.